The following is a message by Dr. Dennis Johnson from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Let's pray together. Father, we've been singing of the powerful work that you have accomplished through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have made us brothers and sisters with people all over the world, far and wide, one family of God. We speak many languages, we have many cultures, and yet our hearts are united by your sovereign spirit as he's drawn us to trust in Jesus Expand our love for our brothers and sisters, both near and far. As we come to the end of this brief letter, second letter of John, we ask that you will write the lessons that it has to teach us, that your spirit has to teach us into our hearts. The weather today reminds us uh, the physical winds are strong and a picture of the far stronger wind of God, the Spirit of God, who transforms hearts and lives. Father, we ask that you will protect our region from fires in this day of high winds, but also that your Holy Spirit will fan to brighter flame the fire of our love for Christ and for the family of God with whom we are one through Jesus' blood. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we come to our final meditation on Second John for this semester. You may be wondered whether you could get five meditations out of these 13 verses, but uh, I believe so. And we have uh, verses 12 and 13, the final greetings before us. Again, let me read you, to you the entire epistle from the elder John, the apostle. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, 
I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is God's word. May his sovereign Holy Spirit write it into our hearts. We've been seeing the big themes that John addresses in this letter. Truth and love, the danger of deceivers at large in the world, and the non-negotiable confession of Jesus as the Christ who has come in the flesh. That watershed that separates truth from the lie, that separates those who have fellowship with God the Father and the Son from those who do not. That watershed that separates those who walk in truth and love from those who share in deceivers' wicked works. So when we get to the end of verse 11, we might conclude that this epistle has given all it has to give to us. I mean, after all, 12 and 13 is just sort of that wrap-up stuff. Maybe travel plans and a final greeting. Um, Not so. Not so. God's word has no throwaway sentences in it, and these three sentences are no exception to that rule. John closes, first of all, we notice he closes as he starts with the image of the church as a woman, as a lady. Now he's referring to your elect sister, the congregation which he's now worshiping, as he writes to a congregation at some distance away, and he sends a greeting. Church of, the church as not just a woman, but a chosen woman, a woman chosen in love by her bridegroom. A woman made fruitful by her bridegroom, bearing children as a wife for the glory of God. And so the children of the elect sister extend greetings back. So it's all about theology. It's about the doctrine of the church. And John anticipates traveling to the church to whom he's now writing so that they together can share in fullness of joy. And what strikes me in this, and I want to point out this to you in particular, is how much John prefers to be with them face to face as opposed to writing with paper and ink. Now, let me, since we are in a school which has a lot of books over there, let me say a word in defense of paper and ink for just a moment, and then we'll ponder why face to face, or as John actually says, mouth to mouth, is better. Okay? Think where we would be if in the first century the apostles could be everywhere at once, preaching face-to-face everywhere, how much of the New Testament would you have? That's right. Exactly right. You all gave me a resounding silence, and that's it, right? God in his providence designed all the events of the first century church so that various crises came up in churches when apostles couldn't get there in person, soon enough, and so they wrote letters. So we have great reason to be thankful for ancient uh, uh, information technology, which was called papyrus and ink. We are so grateful that God designed the way the church lived and struggled in that first generation so that the apostles were compelled to write. How, How thankful can we be That when Paul got word of the Judaizers infecting the churches of Galatia, he couldn't get there in time. And so he dashed off that that letter 
to the Galatians, and uh, in, in, in that white-hot concern of a mother bear protecting her cubs. How thankful we can be that when the Apostle Paul in Greece, at a somewhat later time, began to think, you know, I really want to go and evangelize Spain. There's just no room for me in the Eastern Mediterranean. Everywhere I go, people already know about Jesus, but I think nobody's heard about him in Spain. I'm going to go to Spain. But if I'm going to go to Spain, I'm going to need some help along the way. There is a church I know planted in the capital of the empire in Rome. I'll just write a letter of introduction for myself and my gospel to the church at Rome. He did that. He then headed east to Jerusalem to deliver an offering. He finally got to Rome, but not quite as he expected, under arrest and in chains. But how thankful we can be that Paul wrote that letter at a distance to the church at Rome. So ink and paper are just great. It's wonderful. I, I just want to encourage you because this is a week of final, I mean of papers, and, and you may get tired of ink and paper and all that kind of stuff. But be thankful for this ancient information technology and for the distance in space that necessitated the apostles using it because that was God's plan for him to speak his word to you at this great distance in time centuries later. God's wise gifts to the church. Okay, but John says, I'd rather be there in person. I'd rather come to speak to you face to face or Greek scholars, you're looking at your Greek Testament, right? Stoma prostoma, mouth to mouth, mouth to mouth. Now why? Why would John prefer to be that? One scholar thinks it's because, as he says, John may have certain unpleasant matters that he has to bring up. And this keys in with the way that he's reading verse 4 when John says, I met some of your children walking in the truth. And that particular scholar thinks that that means that John is saying, I met some other students, uh, children of yours, that are not walking in the truth, and I'm going to have to correct them. It's a plausible theory. We know that sometimes the apostles did feel that writing was not as good as being there when they had to say something awkward. Paul says to the Galatians, in fact, Oh, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. I'd rather be there in person and just talk eye to eye and see your response, and hopefully it'll be a repentant, humble response, and, and then I can change my tone immediately, and I can comfort you, and we can be reconciled. So the apostles knew that sometimes when awkward things need to be said, although it may be easier to say it at a distance through ink and paper, through emails, through blasting blogs at one another. Easier, less uncomfortable, but not necessarily less effective for affecting real interpersonal reconciliation. So I can see that scholar's theory. I don't buy it, though, because John goes on to say, I want to be there in person so that our joy will be fulfilled so that our joy will be fulfilled. And he says virtually the same thing to Gaius in the third letter, 3 John, and he doesn't have any criticism of Gaius whatsoever, so not even implied. I don't think there's criticism in verse 4. I think John has only met some members of the church, and they're representative of the church's faithfulness. So John's preference for face-to-face -face communication is that he senses this is the optimal way 
for people who are created in the image of God, the, what John Donne called the three-personed God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who interact with one another through all eternity. That's the best way for us to experience fullness of joy in glorifying and enjoying God. Face-to-face is best. Once upon a time, there was a seminary. Um, back when online distance learning was the hottest new thing, there was a certain unnamed stick-in-the-mud seminary that launched a whole marketing campaign uh, based on the premise, face-to-face is still best. Can you imagine that? Who would do such a thing? Maybe some of you came in response to that marketing campaign. I don't know. Well, last week I googled face-to-face is still best, thinking I could find that somewhere. We don't use that so much anymore. And I found that the internet, which is not exactly face-to-face, tells me a whole bunch of things in which face-to-face is still best. It's best for marketing, networking, emergency management, congressional town hall meetings, and other political campaigning, employee collaboration leading to more productivity if employees actually talk to one another in the same space, and, yes, for that awkward matter of laying off workers, better to do it in person, conversations between real friends, face-to-face really is best in a lot of ways, and John knows that. Uh, Last week there was a news report on the effects that are being, you know, a controlled study showing how kids who grow up with parents who are constantly texting, always connected online, are actually suffering in their social development. I don't think we really need a controlled study to tell us that. It seems to me every iPhone commercial is actually making that point when they show dysfunctional families sitting across the table texting to one another or texting to somebody else or watching a basketball game. You know, you know those, you, probably, you don't have time for commercials. Of course you don't. You've got papers. Anyway, John knows that really talking to one another, being with one another, is a very good thing. In fact, my hunch is that his choice of this rather unusual expression, which the ESV at this point does kind of bland out a little bit, it's not really face-to-face, as I said, it's mouth-to-mouth, may be a deliberate echo by which John is saying to us, when we, children of God, interact with one another, It's a reflection of that greatest of all conversations between our creator and us, his personal creatures for which he designed us. Because one of the two other places in the Bible, and the one I think John is alluding to where mouth-to-mouth appears, is in the Lord's defense of the meek Moses when his older siblings, Miriam and Aaron, are criticizing Moses. And Moses won't defend himself, uh, but the Lord will. The Lord says, Numbers chapter 12, With Moses I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And elsewhere in the Pentateuch, we learn that same point, although this is the only place where mouth to mouth appears. Other places it is face to face. But back in Exodus 33, for example, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Or the summary at the end of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 34.10, there has not arisen a prophet since since in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. You were made to be in the presence of a living God who speaks mouth to mouth to his servants. 
Now, I realize this is a really odd timing to come to this point in this week when you have actually managed to extricate yourself from the library for a few minutes to be here, uh, and you're probably going to go back into the library uh, and, and be immersed, not necessarily in face-to-face, -face, but in paper and ink uh, and databases and online resources and all that. Um, graduate schools tend to attract bookish people. Graduate schools of theology and ministry, we hope attract bookish people that are also people people, but sometimes we have trouble hitting that balance between being bookish and being a people person. Um, and, and maybe this week you're more tended to gravitate toward being a bookish person. Um, okay, fair enough. But as much as we love our books, as much as we get stimulated from surfing the web and crossing verbal swords with bloggers in distant places, we also need to ask the Holy Spirit to cultivate in us the appetite for up-close and personal face-to-face -face friendship and conversation with others in the body of Christ. John opened his first letter, 1 John, by saying that he and the other apostles were proclaiming what they had heard and seen and touched of the word of life. That's Jesus. That's John's way of talking about Jesus there. As John says, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And John says, we're writing. So he was writing, paper and ink. We are writing so that our joy may be full in this fellowship. Fullness of joy is found in fellowship with the Father and with his Son and with his whole family through the Spirit of God. With everyone who has fellowship with one another, as John goes on to say in 1 John 1, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Face to face, mouth to mouth, communion. As I say, this may not be the week in which you can afford much time to put down paper and ink and e-tablet and databases in order to interact face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth with brothers and sisters in the family of God. Some of you may have to reintroduce yourself to your wife or your children at the end of the week. Hi, remember me? That's possibly true, but don't forget. Fullness of joy is found in that personal relationship. And lest we forget it, Scripture closes with the vision of that. In Revelation chapter 22, when we see the new Jerusalem, what's we're told about the new Jerusalem is that the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in this new Jerusalem and his servants will worship him and they will see his face. And they will see his face. I can't put that together with those other texts in the Bible completely where John, God says to Moses, you can't see my face and survive. And yet God says about Moses, I've spoken to him face to face. I don't, I don't know how to relate those. Uh, I know that John says elsewhere, no one has seen God at any time, but God, the unique one, the son of the father, has made him known. But something here, something here, talks about that personal communion for which we're designed and which we get to anticipate now as we come and are with one another and speak mouth to mouth that our joy may be full. Let's pray together.
Father, we are often pulled in many directions, pulled by tasks that you and your providence have placed before us, the call to be good stewards of time and mind and resources, to finish important work that will teach us more of you and your word and if, equip us to serve others, and at the same time called to serve others, called to be with others, called to delight in fellowship with, with others. And, and we feel that tension so often. Maybe my brothers and sisters especially feel it in this week as they're finishing up written assignments. But Father, we ask that you would instill in us that beautiful balance that we see in Scripture. The apostles using ink and paper to minister to the word, the word to those at a distance from them, not only in space, but to us at a distance in time. And yet, at the same time, the apostles longing to be with their brothers and sisters in Christ because we are made ultimately to be with you, to glorify and to enjoy you. Father, help us to keep those things in a right and biblical balance and uh, to treasure our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2014, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.